what I want you to do is I want you to get your Bibles ready at Acts chapter 19. But there's just a couple of things I want to fire at you uh, before that. Um, I said to you this morning that it is, it's, it's my long-held belief, but I have a real um, urgency uh, about it today that, um, that for you as a church, you need to consider that everything that happens in the room is for beyond the room. That everything that God is doing with you as a church is not about who is gathered here, but we are contending and you are contending for those that don't know the Lord. You're contending for a valley filled with wonderful people that just don't know the Lord. And when you were singing before, and you sang it this morning too, pour your spirit out, pour your spirit out. Heaven forbid that God would pour out a spirit and it would be contained within these four walls, as attractive as they are. And I, I reminded them this morning of Luke 14, 23. This is the parable of the great banquet. Then the master said to the servant, go into the highways and the hedges. I like that, hedges. Go drag people out of the hedges. And compel them to come in that my house may be filled. That my God wants his whole house to be filled. And so everything that happens, every worship time, every, every fire tunnel, every time you are, are here and you're saying, God, I want to receive, it must be with a view to overflowing. We've got to get our heads out of the, the internal defensive space and start looking beyond. The second thing I was thinking about, um, I've been thinking a lot about the goodness of God. And I love, like I, I, I often will sit in the morning and some, you know, I sit early in the morning and sometimes if I wake up and I have a song in my head, I'll pop my, I'll pop my headphones on and just have a great time with that song. And a number of times recently I've woken up with that excellent song by Jen Johnson, The Goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. My, my, uh, my, um, my encouragement to you, though, is not to put a human definition on what goodness looks like. John 16.33, Jesus said this. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation. The word tribulation means pressure or squeezing. Think about your life. How many of you have faced some of that in the last Year, two years, five years. How many of you have been in the squeeze one way or another? Okay? That's the goodness of God. Do you hear me? That's the goodness of God. He said, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And we were just, we were just singing the Waymaker song, and you transitioned away from it, but my, my mind kept going into the next bit. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. And Mike Bickle said something along these lines. He said, God will always use the least painful method to produce the greatest love. Did you hear that? God will always use the least painful method. It doesn't mean it won't be painful. The least painful method to produce the greatest love. What he wants to produce in us is fierce devotion, unwavering love, fiery endurance, and an undivided heart. Because, see, without, 
without the fire of God, the fire of the love of God burning in our hearts, the furnace of the days that we live in will offend us and we will walk away. The fire burning in you has got to be hotter than any fire that can burn around you. You understand? It's normal to be on fire as a believer. It's normal. It is not normal to be lukewarm. So God is working to raise up the unshakable church fit to shine in the turbulence of the times. And this will be the church that knows that they know that they know that God loves them. How do you know God loves you? Oh, it's a feeling. No, it's not. How do you know God loves you? Hebrews 12, 6. The Lord disciplines everyone He loves. Listen. He disciplines everyone He loves and everyone He accepts as a son or daughter He chastens. I know it sounds like, uh, you know, like you're calling for the sympathy vote when you say this, but up until a year ago, you can ask Paul because he, he's... When he says we go back a ways, I've known him since he was 16, maybe even 15, which is like nine years ago now. <laughs> I don't know how his hair didn't do this, you know what I mean? Like, we go back, we go back quite a way, and so I, I went through a five-year period that was the most difficult thing that I've ever been through in my life, five years of it. And, you know, you can go, oh, boo-hoo, you know, like, you know, because, listen, things never are from the inside what they look like from the outside. Some of us can put a pretty brave face on it, and only the people that know us can see what's really going on. For me, it was chaos and carnage, and I thought I was going to die. And I'm not overstating that. That's, you ask my wife. And you know what? Now I look back and I realize that that had to happen because it was the only way God could get through to me what he needed to get through to me. And I have literally sat and wept in the morning going, God, you were so good and I'm so glad you did that. So, and the third thing. So, let me, let me tell you this. This, um, this has sort of been percolating in my life for a while and then Ian and Beth brought it up at lunch. So, they say, we're hosting you at lunch. And we sit down and I sit down to eat my lunch and Beth says, I don't want to interrupt you eating, but I have some questions for you about Redline. Now, you might go, Redline? What's Redline? Redline? Redline was a series of youth conferences that uh, my wife and I helped to spearhead. Uh, the young people in this church dived in and were a part of it. Many of, well, I think all of, all of Seth's and Debbie's daughters were, were in there. Um, Paul was in there, and then, and then later on, Jody was in there, and, and it was a series of conferences. Now, let me tell you how it came about. I became a youth pastor in uh, 1989. had no idea what I was doing. The first six months of it nearly killed me. I had to go to Great Barrier Island. They, I was sent to Great Barrier Island to try and get my head straight. I came back from that, and anyway, one thing led to another, and it, I got to a point where I was like, I can't do cake and ice cream and roller skating and 10-pin bowling anymore. We've got to preach the gospel. We've got to lay hands on young people. We've got to have worship, and if they don't like it, they can go somewhere else. And anyway, it was that moment, really, that sparked what evolved into a move, I suppose you would say, a move of God among young people. 
We were in a little church. The auditorium in that little church was probably smaller than this hall that we're in. And we wound up with Friday night meetings in there with, you know, two, 250 young people jammed into it. I think the largest night we ever had, we had to go to the intermediate school next door and we had uh, three, I can't remember if it was 356 or 365. Back in those days, I used to count. And, um, and as a result of that, this really large youth group in this really little Anglican Methodist Presbyterian church, we nicknamed ourselves anglo Presbyterians. <laughs> It was really a denominational train wreck. There was denominations everywhere. As a result of that, I wound up getting asked to go and speak at other youth groups and then to youth leaders, and one thing led to another, and I wound up traipsing all over New Zealand. And one day, Peter Robertson came to me, and some of you remember Peter. He used to preach, used to come here regularly. Some of you don't. Picture Gandalf, because he does look a little like Gandalf. He really does, and... Um, Peter is a prophet. He's had a huge impact on my life, on Paul and Jody's lives, on, on this church. He's praying for us tonight. He, 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 prays, he prays for me wherever I'm going. He prays for Paul and Jody. He, he prays for Seth and Debbie. He's just a man of prayer. He's in his 70s now. And um, uh, he, he did a little intervention, and he, he got, me to, got me to come and sit with him. And, uh, and he said, what you're doing is not good. I said, what is that? All this traipsing around. You're going to burn yourself out. It was a little bit like when Moses' father-in-law did an intervention on Moses, remember? And he said to me, you need to create an opportunity for them all to come to you because you can't just keep going to all them. You're going to kill yourself. And I remember thinking, wow, that's ridiculous. If, I, if, I, if we did a, no one's going to come to that. Who's going to come to that? So anyway, he kept, you know, pushing. He's quite pushy in a very introverted but kind of fiery and terrifying kind of a way. <laughs> and um, I remember this one day, Tasha and I were walking on the beach at Rabbit Island near Nelson. And we were walking and we were considering this and we said, right, okay, we'll do it. What are we going to call it? And I was like, oh, I hate coming up with names. I'm just useless at that. Anyway, we wound up with the name Redline, taking youth ministry from the flat line, you know, beep, to the red line. You know, so that's what we did. <laughs> I still think it's a really silly name, but I, I, I never liked it. I never, I never got, I tried to keep renaming it, but we just, things got out of control. And so in 1995, early, oh, late 19, no, early 1995, Tasha and I sat, we got these dodgy red and black and white brochures made up, Red Line 1995, taking youth ministry from the flat line to the red line. And we sat down with envelopes at our dining table and pen pens and stamps, and we wrote the address of everyone we could think of, and we posted them out. And lo and behold, we wound up having a conference in Auckland, and then one in Nelson, and one in Christchurch. And, you know, uh, Auckland was about 140 people came. I was like, what the heck is happening? We went to Nelson, about, I don't know, 80 or 90 came, because, you know, we were in good with the Anglican down there, and so all the Anglicans came. And we went to Christchurch, and that was just a bit of a debacle, really. Like, for, I, for ages, I had to forgive Christchurch because things went really wrong down there. It just didn't work very well. And anyway, one thing led to another, and we did more and more and more of these events. And by the year 2000, we were doing uh, six of them all over the country. Um, and, you know, several thousand young people and youth leaders were coming in total to all of those. Um, and they went through till 2003. These conferences were, um, they were bonkers. Like, 
like we we had a um, uh, a man who was the worship leader. I think you've met him. I think he's been here. Peter Morton. He wrote songs like "Crushing the Devil's Head," you know, like worship songs. And eyes, you know, Jeff Bevan wrote "Eyes of Fire" and "Hair Like Wool." When you speak, the demons go, you know. And we we gave these altar calls to songs like "We Will Live, Serve, and Die," because we were saying to young people, Jesus is worth everything. Even come and lay down your life. It wasn't a self-help. And and we were having altar calls and ministry times that would go often until midnight. I remember one time we were up at our rancho and I, it was a scary number of young people in there. Scary. That was all, in any group. You, you, look, I've been, I've been doing stuff with young people since I was one, but still anything more than about 20 of them in the room is still terrifying. <laughs> you look at me like, oh yeah, oh yeah, you try it. And there was this worship time going on, and we had Cindy Ruakeri there, and she was blasting away with I press on, and I'm just freaking out. I'm back behind the bleachers going, God, what am I going to do? And this thing just rose up in me. All I wanted to do was come out and shout nations. I had a message written, but all I wanted to do was shout nations. So I came out at the end of it after Cindy had to give me the look a few times. You know, the worship leader look that's like, I'm, I'm done, come out, come out, come out. If you don't come out, I'm coming in, you know what I mean? And if you picture, you can picture that from Cindy Ruakeri, right? You know, like, like Shona will do it and it will be fierce. But imagine Cindy, she's like, you know. And so I came out and I just said to the young people, I want you to stand there. I want you to open your hands, open your hearts. I'm just going to shout a word. I shouted the word nations and all chaos broke loose. People were crashing onto the floor. These were not highly choreographed, fancy pants youth events. These were raw power, Holy Spirit, carnage, chaos, the trouble we got ourselves into when parents of churches from conservative Mainline churches came to pick their young people up and they were drunk on the floor in the Holy Ghost. And they were telling stories of fire tunnels and, and we got into so much trouble. It was so, I look back now and I go, it was glorious. But at the time it was, re- it was really hard, you know, like you, were, you know, uh, anyway. So the reason I'm telling you that is a little while ago, Peter Robertson popped up again. He's a troublesome man. And he popped up again and he started talking to me and, and he started talking online to the, quote, redliners. Because, see, there is nothing like what I just even... Am I overstating that? Am I, am I exaggerating? I'm not exaggerating. This is what these were like. There is nothing happening in New Zealand that bears any resemblance to that among young people. Nothing. There's nothing. There's no camp. There's no conference. There is nothing even in that ballpark. How, how many of you were at a red line? Raise your hand if you were at one. Am I, am I being honest? There is nothing that bears any resemblance to those right now. How many of you would, yeah, would you agree? And so Peter popped up and he said, you know, I think, I think something's going to come around again. And I'm like, oh, oh boy. And then Ian and Beth at lunch, they're just like, you know, there's nothing like Redline. And man, we need something like that. And so I quickly tagged them and said, go for it. <laughs> I don't know how or what or why. I just want to put that on your radar as a church family. 
not to put it on Beth and Ian's shoulders, not to put it on my shoulders, not to put it on Paul and Jody's, but just to say, <laughs> I was going to say an eagle, there's a buzzard circling. And I mean that because it was incredibly costly. It was incredible. I, did the, I, used to, I used to do those conferences running on Diet Coke and Nurofen because uh, seriously, I was just, I was so tired and you, you know, you were so busy yelling that your throat would be sore and your back would be sore from catching all, or trying to catch all these young people that went crashing down. And so it's not like a, woohoo, yeah, red line, bring it on. It's more like, consider the cost. And so I want to put it on your radar. I also want to say this to you. I, um, at um, Samantha and Ryan's invitation, I got to go and be with uh, young people here. And Paul had told me about the five pillars or the five stones, what did, five stones for the year, and one of them being youth and young adults, the young. And um, so I, uh, I came and I was with them. And you know what? I... I there was a worship time, and I preached a message, but the thing that startled me was the amount or the potency of the anointing that God released on those young people. So um, uh, hop along. You probably don't want to come all the way out here, but what I want to do is I just actually want us to pray. So, um, right, oh, you can come? I feel bad. Has anyone got a vehicle with wheels? No, Samantha needs to stay off anything with boots with wheels. Roller skating is not of the Lord for you. I wonder if um, uh, Bethany and any other youth leaders here? Can you guys, any other youth leaders? Who are the youth? Are there any other youth leaders here? It's what I want us to do. Hayden? Did you say Hayden? Oh, he was there. He saw I was preaching. He ran for the door. <laughs> Come here. Can we stand up? We just want actually, like, the, this has been stated by your leadership team that youth and young adults is one of the important pillars for the year ahead. Church, one of the key things, like when I look back at St. John's, the church where I was youth pastor, one of the key things was that the church didn't look at us, my wife and I, as youth leaders and say, you just go do that. We don't want to know it. We want them to seen and be seen, not be seen or heard. Just you, you take them over there. But the church actually embraced it. And so that's going to be one of the keys. Any of you that were redliners, can you come and stand around these ones? Come on. wonder, Debbie, would you come and stand in the thick of this too? Would you mind? And I know, you know, church, uh, there's nowhere in the Bible that it says, stretch your hand towards people and pray. <laughs> but I want you to do that anyway, because, <laughs> because I just think it's a way of us engaging. Can we, just, can we just pray for these ones? Not putting our agendas on them, but come on, those of you close, let's lay hands on them. Father, we thank you that you are the God who awakens. You're the God who says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. 
And so, Lord Jesus, we're here with longing and passion in our hearts to see countless young people rescued out of the toxic waste dump that the enemy has created for them, a toxic waste dump of confusion and addiction and shame and bondage. And we're asking God even... Even for these ones here, Lord Jesus, these ones that will be at the, the forefront spearheading what you do in this local church. But Lord, even those that will also be involved in what might happen beyond here, Lord, we lay our hands on them. We stretch our hands towards them and we pray and we say, God, would you release your anointing full strength, full measure for all that you want to do. Youth, young adults, Children, young people of all ages, in Jesus' name, would you release fire, would you release fire in Jesus' name, would you release fire on them and on the young people that are here right now that will be, as it were, the seed for what you will do. Lord Jesus, release your anointing. God, we ask that you would stir awakening through the young people, that the young people in Hope Center, Lower Hutt, Northern Hills would become a sign and a wonder, a confounding sign in Jesus' name. The intermediates, burning-hearted, fire-breathing, burning-hearted young men and young women that will live for you all the days of their life, holding nothing back. We release anointing by faith in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Shumarandi hala mahiala manda yabu yaranda bayat. Haya. Huya. Everything that you have in your heart to do, Lord. Everything that you want to do in this church is for beyond this church. So we pray, God, for anointing to be released among the young people within this church that will send a shockwave far beyond this church. In Jesus' name. Lord, there are a handful of us that have seen you do it in the past, and we're saying, Lord Jesus, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it more. You know, when God moves, He doesn't need a choreographer. I'm not saying we should never plan, but when God moves, it's going to be a bit messy. I love your hope, Senna, but are, are, you, are, you, are you ready to get in trouble maybe because of what God chooses to do? If you're in trouble for what He does, that's fine. I try to avoid being in trouble for my dumb stuff, but if he does stuff, I don't mind getting in trouble. I try to avoid making trouble for myself. Okay. Get some fire there, you guys. 
I think that's kind of what we're doing by proxy here. Thank you, Lord. All right. Well, bless the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for letting us attack you. You may stagger backwards. You may, Ryan, assist your wife as she hobbles. You know, um, for those of you that do remember Peter Robertson coming, Peter Robertson and Seth effectively got connected through Redline. Because Peter Robertson would come and preach at Redline, and I remember once I said to him, I've met this crazy guy from Lower Hutt. You really need to meet him. And, and I couldn't work out if they were going to become best friends or wild adversaries. So, here, yeah, praise God, eh? Praise God. How's the stodge level? Are we stodgy? <laughs> I, want to, I just want to talk to you, and I'm going to endeavor to talk to you briefly, sort of picking up from where I left off this morning about the unfamiliar God. We've become far too familiar with the God we hardly know. You know, like the goal, the goal of, of the church is that people would know God, that we would know him as he is, not as we have made him to be, but we would know him in the mind-blowing, uncontainable nature of who he truly is. So if you've got your Bibles there in Acts 19, from verse 11, it says this, now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the disease left them and evil spirits went out of them. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, now think about that for a moment, itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were the seven sons of Sceva, who was the Jewish chief priest, and they did this. One day when they were doing it, the evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus I know, Paul I have heard of, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so they fled out of that house naked and wounded. How many of you know that's a deliverance session gone wrong? Okay. So the sons of Sceva, notice their connection. They were the sons of the chief priest. They saw what Paul was doing. And it says they took it upon themselves to do likewise. They followed a formula, not realizing that it wasn't a formula that was required, but a relationship. And so they said, in the name of Jesus, but they were not in the name of Jesus. What does it actually mean to be, what does this term, in the name of Jesus, mean? Well, back in the day, Jody was Jody Kartner. And yeah, there we go. Well, it was only four years ago. No, no. And then when she got married to Paul, he put a ring on her finger and she took... You've still got it? Good. Because, see, I, I, haven't, I haven't got mine on because um, at this time of year it, it falls... Have, have you got yours on? Yes, good. So she put a ring and so she, she became Jodie Saunders. She took the name. 
she took the name Saunders. And when she took the name Saunders, she entered into a place, a legal place based on the relationship that they'd actually had for some time before that. She took the name. And so the in the name of Jesus is not just a formula or a way of letting people know that you've just about finished your prayer. It's a statement of relationship. So they had the formula, but not the relationship. And they found out in a moment, in that moment, if you'll, if you'll pardon me crossing my stories, the emperor had no clothes. You understand me? One version says they fled naked and wounded. Another version says they fled bleeding with their buttocks bared. They got pantsed. You know what, if you've heard that, you know, they got, anyway. So, so here's what I want to suggest to you. There are a bunch of Christians that are binos, believers in name only. It's costly to be a believer in name only when power is required for whatever situation you're facing. Because the power doesn't rest on the formula. The power is in the relationship. Just like if I just suddenly decided, well, I'm going to be in the name of Saunders too, and I went to the bank and tried to withdraw money, they would say to me, hey, you're a thief because you're not actually in the name Saunders. And that's what these guys did. They tried to make a withdrawal that wasn't a legal withdrawal. It can be costly to be a believer in name only, to say we know him, to use his name, but to not truly know him, to have the right words, but to not actually be clothed with power from on high. Everything can appear to be okay until you hit the moment of truth. So here is the unavoidable question that you and I have to, each of us, consider, not as a group, but as individuals. Am I in the name of Jesus? Am I in his name? It's a statement of relationship. Am I in the name of Jesus by means of relationship, devotion, commitment? Do we truly forget about religious appearance for a moment? Do we truly, humbly, authentically know him? It can be costly to truly, authentically know Him. There is a different cost to not knowing Him, but there is a cost to knowing Him. I'll talk about that in a minute. Do we know this Jesus who casts out demons with a word? Do we actually know Him? Do we know this Jesus who heals the sick, who raises the dead, who in a moment turns a naked, demon-possessed man in the tombs into an evangelist? Do we know this Jesus who speaks a word to the storm and calms it, who confronts the entitled religious elite? Do we know this Jesus who chooses the unlikely and the unqualified? Do we know this Jesus who held nothing back and laid down his life as the Lamb of God, who blew apart death itself by raising from the dead, and who will return as the blue fire-eyed rider on the white horse who will appear in the sky like lightning flashing from the east to the west. I was reading a, 
a, a, a book by a very gentle pastoral man the other day called Mario Murillo. If you know Mario, you know that you open his books and flames come out, basically. And he uh, asserts this. He says, a demon-possessed culture needs a church equipped to cast out its demons. Do you hear me? We got squeamish about that. We got all funny about it. Oh, we don't want that, you know. It makes un- new people feel uncomfortable. Knowing this Jesus is going to cost you something. Jesus put it this way, Matthew 16, 25. The one who seeks to save his life will lose it. The harder you hang on to it, the more you lose. But the one who loses it for my sake finds it. We like to say that's like an upside-down kingdom, but it's actually not. It's the right side up. You and I were made to worship. We were made to give our lives away, and we always will. We will always worship something. If you're not worshiping the God who says, my name is I am who I am, Elohim, Adonai, Yahweh, if you don't worship Him, you probably worship your house or your bank balance or the car that's parked in your garage. Garage. Spirit of America coming out. (laughs) So it's in knowing this Jesus, in knowing Him, in losing everything, we're saved. So I feel deeply concerned, not so concerned necessarily here in terms of the, 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 the group. I, I, know, I know many of you. I know some of you quite well. But on the whole, if I think about the church all around New Zealand, I am greatly concerned that the very people who must know God, I'm I'm very concerned that I'm not sure that we do. And I don't say that from a place of arrogance. Please, it would be something that I would say to you as if on my knees saying, I am concerned for us that we don't know God. And we must know Him. We must know His ways, not just His acts. We must know who He is and what He's like. And we must be willing to pay the price to truly know Him. I sort of alluded to this this morning. Like, I, I believe it is so important for the gathering together of the saints. I believe that. I absolutely believe it. Do not, Hebrews 10.25, do not forsake the assembling together for your, of yourselves, as is the manner of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day, capital D, approaching. But this is not enough. This is not how you know God. And, and I, I used to feel like you don't talk about your own private times with the Lord, but I feel like we need to pull back the curtain on that. For me, my times, and I don't say, like some of you are night people. Some of you are morning people. Some of you are neither. You're like chronologically agnostic, I, I, you know, whatever. But for me, what works is, is I get up very, very early in the morning. I never need an alarm. The Lord wakes me up. And I go and I spend time with Him before the, well before the sun comes up. That's, that's what I do. And, you know, sometimes I'm sitting there and it's like, it's electric. It's like, whoa, baby, God is here. But, you know, most of them it's like, 
but I'm saying, Lord, I'm here for you. I'm here to be with you. Sometimes I weep. Sometimes I laugh. Sometimes I burn. Other times I just sit and I know it's still not wasted. Just the same as it's not wasted if I go for a walk with my wife, who aside from the Lord is my most important relationship. I go for a walk with my wife and if we're walking along the beach at, well, you used to walk at the beach before the weather changed. <laughs> you know, now we go, I don't know, go and, what, go and get on the treadmill or go and do laps of the mall, heaven forbid. But you can't go to the mall because all of Tauranga are there because no one wants to be outside because it's been raining so much. But if we're going for a walk, if we're not having an electric conversation, it's not like, wow, what a waste of time. You've got to spend time with God. You've got to get into his word. We've got to stop. I, I said this this morning, and I don't mean it to sound harsh or rude, but we've got to stop coming into church and sitting there like passengers in economy class on the long-haul flight, waiting for the, the meal to be served up on the plastic tray in compartments. Oh, here's the worship. Here's the communion. Oh, here's the main course. You know, like We've got to stop sitting there like a, like a, like a bunch of economy class passengers with our plastic knife and fork, and you've got to get in, you've got to get in on your own at home and get... Cook something up. Get into the Word. Get in there and wrestle with it. Go into the parts of it that scare the heck out of you. The parts, you know, I just, I'm just really like a Psalms kind of person. Psalms is like dessert. Have you read the Psalms? No, you haven't. Get into Deuteronomy. Spend some time in Leviticus. Go and have a great time in the book of Job. Stay there until it undoes you. Get up every morning. Stay up every night. Whatever works for you. You say, well, I sit there and I fall asleep. Get up and pace around. Do something. We must know God. Yeah. They kept that. I almost, I almost wanted to say it like this. No, I won't say it. No. I almost wanted to say it like this. They don't, have, they don't have a hope in hell. There is no hope in hell. They don't have a hope in hell if we don't know God. If all we know is church, if all we know is the latest McNugget sermon that you looked up on YouTube, if we don't know God, the Hutt Valley hasn't got a hope. So we must know Him. All right, now I've got to bring this in for a landing. Where are we up to? Oh, 7.56. How did we get here? Acts 17.23. This is what I said to you this morning. Remember, this is Paul at a place. Not this Paul. The Paul that he's named after. I assume you were named after that Paul, probably. Knowing your dad, you probably were. This is Paul in a place called Athens, and he's talking to a group of people. Now, my wife corrected me. It's not the Areopagus, it's the Areopagus. Ooh. And the Areopagus was not only a, a group of people, it was actually a place. And it was a group of people that met in a place. And they were like the religious leaders, the town council. It was like the influencers. And Paul was about to address them. And he'd obviously, he'd walked around the city. And it says this in verse 23, as I was passing through and considering your objects of worship, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Remember, Greek society was pantheistic. There was a God for this and a God for that and a God for the other thing, and they wanted to have all their bases covered, so they even had to the unknown God to make sure they got everybody. How confusing. And then he said this, Therefore the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. I am going to tell you about this God that you do not know. That has to be our message. 
not, not a word of exaggeration. The other day, our doorbell rang. Deep, right? <laughs> and I opened the door and it was our neighbours at the door. It was the, the mum and two daughters from next door. And one of the daughters was crying and the mum, who is not a believer... But interestingly enough, she was best friends with one of Jim Thornborough's daughters back in the day. So how's that? how weird is that? So anyway, doorbell rings, open the door. One of the daughters is crying. There's mum and the two daughters. And the mum looks at me and says, can you help us? I said, what do you need help with? She says, we've got a religious problem. I said, what's your religious problem? She pointed to her daughter and she said, she wants to know if heaven is real. I said, well, let me pray for you. We've got to know God. We've got to know who He is. We've got to proclaim to the people that don't know that there is a God. We've got to, Him that they worship as unknown, Him we must proclaim. But I believe this too. We first and foremost have to do it in the church because we are needing a detox from the God that we have created in our own image, in our own preference, in our own convenience. So here's what I just want to do very quickly. A church that no longer knows God is powerless to help a nation spiraling towards an eternity without Jesus. From verse 24, here is how Paul proclaims this unknown God. Have you got, who's got five to ten more minutes in them before we pray for you? Okay. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he's Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives all life, breath, and all things. He has made from one blood every nation of men that dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord, in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us." For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and men's devising. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this by raising him from the dead. Now that's a mouthful. Let's look at it very quickly. Number one, here is Paul proclaiming this unknown God. Number one, God made the world and he is Lord of heaven and earth. He's not small. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. Let that sink into you more than just like, oh yes, oh yes, of course he's the Lord. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. We do not live on a randomly evolved planet. We do not have a mother nature. Understand me? We do not... We do not have a mother nature. We have a father God. We and all of this were created by our father God. So Paul here plainly states, God made the world and he is the sovereign owner of it all. End of story, exclamation mark. Number two, 
He doesn't dwell in temples that we build. We can build grand buildings and like particularly when you go to places like Europe. I remember uh, we went and we, you know, Seth took me to a couple of big places including Windsor Castle. And you can look at Windsor Castle and go, wow, that's pretty impressive. And then Martin took us to these fancy churches in Germany. One of them had taken like 1,200 years to build. And you see these grand cathedrals. And then here, I'm not saying it's, it's bad, maybe that... You know, maybe that's a good thing. I, I don't really have an opinion on it. But here it says he doesn't dwell in the temples that, he build, that we build as if he would need us to make something for him. God's not sitting there feeling homeless. Oh, no. Where am I going to live? <laughs> he doesn't dwell, dwell in temples and he gives life and breath to everything. Now think about this, even in terms of your five stones. He made every ethnic group from one man, Adam. He made every ethnic group. It should not be possible for a Christian to be racist because we all come from one place and at the end it's every nation, tribe and tongue. (laughs) All right. He is the God of nations. He is the God of the nations, and He determines the times and the boundaries of the nations. Hallelujah. All right, good. Is it, is it getting stodgy? Am I, am I, am, I'm so scared of the stodge, you know, like, oh, that message was porridge. Oh, no. What about this one? He's not far from each of us. Think about this. Even though He is the King of the universe... You know, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah, it's. I'm just, 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 yeah, I just need to go. Either I need to go to America or I just need to stir up the spirit of Kiwi. Um, in the book of Isaiah, it says he spreads the universe between his thumb and his forefinger. He's like, I oh, will just check the universe. Yep, there it fits. Even though he's the king of the universe, he's not far from each of us. Not just from the front row, each of us, from each of us. Right now, today, he is not far from you. The enemy is very good at using circumstances and situations and a wrong definition of the goodness of God to make you think that God has abandoned you, God has forsaken you. And the times when it most feels like he's abandoned you, he's probably at work the most, from my experience. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. How many of you ever just feel a little bit like you're not terribly impressive? Put your hand up if you sometimes feel. Who feels like they're not terribly spiritual? Have you ever looked around church and gone, I think I might be below average spiritual? (laughs) Friends, I've often sat in the front row thinking that. Honestly, I have. He says, I am the God most high, but I am close to the humble and the contrite. Nearly there. We are his offspring. I was looking at my little grandson. You know, sometimes I look at him and I'm like, boy, you look like your dad. I can tell that 
he is my son-in-law's offspring because he looks like his dad. I look and I'm like, yep, my, uh, my sons look like me. If you see my sons, you're like, oh, yep, can see, yep, you're a Williams. Guess what? We are his offspring. We are his offspring. And because we are made in his image, we should realize the obvious. If we are made in his image and we live and move and have being, guess what? He's not a dead idol. He can't be a stone statue. He can't be a graven image because we who live and move, we are in his image. All right, nearly there. He commands everyone to repent. Do you know what this means? Luke 13, 3, I tell you, unless you repent, you will perish. What this means is every single one of us, we begin our life because of original sin that's come into our very DNA. We begin our life pointing in the wrong direction. And we have to come to the point of repentance where we turn to the Lord for salvation. Until we turn, this is the road to destruction. I spend a lot of time again these days talking to young people. And one time I was talking to the young people and I was doing a message I'd done before. And afterwards, my wife said to me, she said, I'm not sure I totally agree with that message. I was like, well, I've been preaching that for years. What do you mean you don't agree with that? And she said this, she said, what we tend to do is this. We tend to look at young people. And most of the young people feel horrible. They feel like there's something wrong with them. They feel like there's something has been twisted and perverted. Something's missing. They feel pain. They feel lost. They feel hopeless. And then we come along and go, none of that's true. You're awesome. And we just gloss over it. She said, maybe a more honest message would be to say, those feelings that you have that you're messed up, true, you are. And that's what the cross is all about. That, that, that illuminates the need for the cross, the power of the cross, the ability that we have in Christ to turn. Yes, how, I don't know about you, but before I became a Christian, I, I was a mess. And I'm so glad someone didn't come along and go, oh, no, you're not a mess. You're amazing. They said, yep, you suck. You're a mess and you're doing dumb stuff and you've got to stop it. You need to repent or turn to Jesus and turn to Jesus because you're on a highway to destruction. He commands everyone to repent. It's not a threat. It's just simply a statement of fact. You're born facing this way. If you don't repent, this is where that road goes to. That's as silly as saying, if you get on State Highway 1 going north, it's as silly as if you were to say, get on State Highway 1 going north, it'll take you to Christchurch. Right? That's not where it's going, baby. Okay, last thing. Second to last thing. Worship team, would you come back, please? Thank you. He has set a day of judgment. Here is Paul proclaiming the God that the people didn't know. Listen to me carefully. He has set a day of judgment. Every human being will stand before God. He has set a day of judgment. This day is inevitable, it is unavoidable. And it is coming. Whether it's you get to the end of your days and you go to where he is, or whether he splits the sky and comes to where we are, there is a day of judgment for every human being. 
That's sobering for you and I in this room, but it's also rocket fuel for us as we consider the young people. It's rocket fuel for us as we go out the door and traverse this hut valley. It's rocket fuel for us saying, there is a day of judgment. And now you've got great swathes of the church that are saying there is no day of judgment. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. There is a day, capital D. And the Bible says here, he will judge by the standard of the life of Jesus and by our response to the sacrifice of Jesus. And finally, Paul says this, this God who I proclaim to you, he has raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Listen to me. He has raised Jesus from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith also is empty. The resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of this whole faith. Our hope is this, because he rose, we also will rise. So how did you go with that? Go right with that? I asked Dean and Beth, stodgy, Ian, uh, Beth went, no, no. Ian went, oh, you know, so, so, so. <laughs> Those of, those, uh, yeah, well, let, uh, let's stand up. Unless, unless standing up just gets uncomfortable for you, let's just stand up. Let's, um, let's just give a reassuring smile to someone alongside, you know, give them a smile. That's just always helpful, isn't it? I always say it's good to give each other a smile because I don't know what... This, when the presence of God comes, this tends to be my default face. That's me in my happy place with God. I, sometimes I even notice I'm doing it in the morning. I'm like, why am I frowning? I just, I, it's me in my happy place. Right now, as if it was only you and the Lord, just turn your attention to Him. I don't know how it works for you, but sometimes when I turn my attention to Him, I have to be a little bit like that woman that pushed through the crowd to get to Jesus. I have to push through the crowd of my distractions, my worries, my concerns, just have to say, hey, you get out of the way, get out of the way, get out of the way. I'm here to get a hold of Jesus. Upcoming work week, get out of the way. Contention in the family, get out of the way. Financial stress right now, you get out of the way. Health situations right now, get out of the way. I'm here just to get a hold of Jesus. Father, we say to you tonight, we know you, but we want to know you. 
Holy Spirit, would you do what you just love to do? Come move in this room. Let, let, let scales fall off the eyes of our hearts, that our hearts might be illuminated with the knowledge of God. Let fresh fire begin to be ignited. The fire of God burning in hearts in the name of Jesus. Come, Spirit of the living God. Take us outside of, of what has become for us in any way normal or routine. We want to know you as you are, as your word declares you to be. We invite you tonight, great and glorious, I am who I am, to step outside the limitations of what we have been comfortable with. Come amongst us as the God who Job encountered when you said to him, brace yourself like a man and I will speak to you. Come amongst us as the one who laid the very foundations of the, of the world, who gives orders to the morning. Come amongst us as the one who the living creatures with all their eyes look at with perfect vision and say, you are holy, holy, holy. Lord, I'm even asking that in this fellowship, this, this critical catalyst fellowship, I'm asking that you would set a Holy Spirit ambush for the Raging Fire Conference. As people are going to come from all over the land, I'm asking even with this group here right now that you would set an ambush for them. An ambush of the knowledge of God. An ambush of the revelation of who Jesus is. An ambush of raging fire. Father, we thank you for leaders that you have raised up in this church who have hearts that burn. Now, Lord, we're asking, let that fire be in every person. In Jesus' name. Come on, just press after him a bit more. Like the woman coming through the crowd, I've got to touch the corner of his garment. Shakara mandi aramat. Come on, begin to press through like you're pressing through the crowd. Here I come. Don't be passive. Begin to press through. Whether you're standing or sitting, come on, let's go. Let's get a hold of Him. Open my eyes, God. I don't want to stay where I've been. I must know You. I must know Your ways, not just Your acts. I must know You as who You are. God, I want to know You. I want to know you. I'm willing to get up early in the morning or I'm willing to stay up late at night. I'm willing to dive into your word. I'm willing to put down my, my economy class passenger mentality and I'm going to get out the steak and cook something up. I'm going to get into your word. I'm going to press into your presence when there's no one to lay hands on me or motivate me. I'm going to press into your presence. God, I pray that you would put in each one an indefatigable desire to grab a hold of you. I'm asking that seeds of perseverance be planted. Seeds of endurance be planted.
slow growing seeds that put down life changing roots and grow up as a tree that can't be blown over by the wind and the waves of what's going on in society. Raise up unshakable men and women after your own heart in Jesus' name. Keep your eyes on the Lord now. I want you to just keep your, open your hands. Receive anointing. Don't wait for a feeling. Receive it by faith. Thank you, Lord. I receive. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who knocks, the door will be open. I, by faith, I receive anointing. Supernatural enabling to do the good works that you planned in advance for me to do. I receive anointing. Lord, I thank you for your grace that comes upon us. That we lay hands on the sick and they recover. That we cast out demons. That we speak always ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. Let's receive anointing. Receive it. You're still being a little passive. Receive it. Get a hold of it. Say, I'll oh, receive that by faith. And then gently and politely put an anointed hand on the shoulder of the person beside you and release it to them. Just release it. Just say, in Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. I receive that anointing. I release it now. 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 By faith I received it. By faith I release it now in Jesus' name. By faith I received it. By faith I release it now in Jesus' name. By faith I received it. By faith I release it now in Jesus' name. By faith I received it. By faith I release it now. Shukala manda Lord, any fire that can be released, let it be released in Jesus' name. Now I want you to go back to receiving again. Hands out in front, just a couple more minutes. Just receive again. By faith we receive. By faith we release. Get your eyes out of the building now. Your family. Your neighbors, your workmates, the person on the train tomorrow. Come on, church, receive it. By faith, we receive anointing to take outside these four walls in Jesus' name. By faith, we receive it in the name of Jesus. By faith we receive it in Jesus' name.
By faith we receive a grace to pray. By faith we receive a grace to pray. By faith we receive a grace to dive into your word and to find you in there. And by grace we receive, by faith we receive the grace that rivers of living water would flow out of the belly of each of us that believe. In Jesus' name. Hoya! Can I ask you a question? Just um, how, how many of you actually, you really, you really want more fire? Okay. How many of you have ever gone like I have through a fire tunnel and you're saying, Lord, more fire? Yeah. There is a fire you can receive that way. Don't diminish that. I don't diminish that one bit. But there's also the fire that you go home and start building yourself. How many of you love... How many of you love the fire that has been maintained over decades in this fellowship? Don't you love that? Isn't that awesome? But long before it was in the fellowship, someone somewhere, and I think we kind of have a bit of an idea of who, got alone with God and built a fire. Go through every fire tunnel you can. Get hands laid on you for the impartation as often as possible. Why wouldn't you? But it's time also for us to learn how to go home and build our own fires too. It's time to go and burn, baby, burn. You understand me? It's time to burn, baby, burn. Because if the fire burning on the inside is not hotter, then the fire of the tribulation around you, you'll get offended. I can tell you, I can tell you for sure, absolutely and humbly, that even in that five years, I never got offended with God. Ain't got much to be proud of, but I feel quite like I want to boast about that and say, I can tell you honestly, I never got offended with Him. All right? My problem is I hadn't worked out how to finish this now. <laughs> so here's, you want to see there's a real advantage to being a guest speaker. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Hey, can we put our hands together and thank, thank Kristen. How true is that? Eh? You know, the Bible says those that know their God shall do exploits. And so Holy Spirit, we just received that. We, we received the grace that's just been released tonight to step into something outside of this building that's deeper and richer. The Apostle Paul said that I might know Him, ah, that I might know Him, the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in His suffering, that I might know Him. So God, we thank You that we know You, but then we desire that we would know you in a greater way. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for the rising tide on the gifts. 
those that are prophetic, there's a rising tide in the prophetic. And when you're on your own, there's a richness in God. Those are you evangelists. There's a rising tide on your gift. And when you're alone with God, ha, the oil is going to be richer. Teachers, pastors, apostles, there's a rising tide. And so, Spirit of God, we just step into this, this amazing glass house of growth, which is one-on-one -on -one with you. And so right now, we just give you permission, Holy Spirit. Wake us up when you want to wake us up. Give us nudge. Give us dreams. Give us angelic encounters. And God, we also thank you in faith for what you're doing when it doesn't feel amazing. But we're just getting to hang with you. Thank you. You're building a fire. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, can we put our hands together and thank Kristen for coming down all the way?